your willingness to give that negative feedback, by the way, something that I think about negative feedback, positive feedback makes you feel better. Negative feedback makes you better. So negative feedback, your willingness to give unfiltered negative feedback goes up 106% if you trust the other person that they're not gonna take it personally, become emotional and irrational receptivity to feedback you know my my receptivity to your feedback goes up 76 percent when i trust that you're coming from a place that wants to help me has my best interest in mind rather than you're trying to belittle me or, or attack me so so back to your psychological safety psychological safety will only exist when you have trust it's not the same things psychological safety depends on having trust. If you don't have trust, you don't feel safety. You feel danger. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Hello, Googleization Nation, and welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And welcome again to my co-host, Jason Cochran from Do Lead. We'll talk a little bit about that, hopefully later on. Uh, Jason, how you doing? Doing really well. Really excited to be on again this week and on a topic that, my goodness, like you said a few minutes ago, trust. Everyone's talking about it, and it seems like there's very little of it, whichever direction you look. So excited right. to hear what our guest has today for us in that regard. Yeah, one of the greatest lines, just posted this on uh, LinkedIn uh, right before the show, one of the greatest lines, one of my favorite lines and probably one of the greatest lines in movie history was Jack Nicholson, when you can't handle the truth. And why, why can't people handle the truth? Or why do people believe they can't do that? Because they don't feel that they're trusted. Just in every place we turn, you know, I've been on, I've been doing my certification for, the adaptability to get my professional level certification on that will end up being one of the first 10 people, eight or 10 people, depending how many people complete it awesome. in just a few weeks, complete that. But uh, so I see adaptability around this all the time. But just this morning, got a, an email clicked on at uh, Washington Post. And the story is about how Flint, Michigan, you know, big, big story the last few years, replacing lead pipes and the tragedy that was and the number of lives that were affected. And the headline was, I'm just gonna pull it up here quick so I don't screw it up. But Flint has repaired over 10,000 lead pipes, but earning back trust is proving harder. And boy, don't we know it. But what a year, to, what a time, I can't say just a year, but what a time to be talking about trust. And when, when I heard, when I met, we met online and I can't remember exactly what the connection was with our guest, uh, Yoram Solomon. When I saw that, it's like, we haven't had anybody talk about trust. What an interesting topic. But the time we're having, I mean, people don't 
don't trust anybody. They don't trust That's public right. officials. I mean, we haven't trusted politicians for a long time, but we, we don't trust our doctors. We don't trust the, the public officials, safety officials. We don't trust science. And then people who are trusted, we, we trust it, misinformation more than we trust people who have the credentials. That's right. And with the labor, the labor storm right now, there's a lot of mistrust between employees and employers. I mean, just this week, another headline that's really hit the media are the 25,000 workers at Disneyland. They now have been granted class action uh, in their lawsuit that they started in 2018. And they're just asking for some basic pay for having a living wage in California. The numbers are staggering. 11% of them are homeless and 68% are food insecure. And for a company that's getting some tax breaks from the city of Anaheim, you know, there's just a lot of mistrust there that, hey, why can't you pay us a living wage if in addition to your profits above your revenue that you're getting, you're also getting tax breaks from the city. There's something that's not right about that. Yeah, it's everything. And and it is like, is, is trust really broken or like so many other things that we're finding out, it was just pushed down. We just ignored it. It, it was a subject that, well, it, it's just trust. I mean, and we, we took it for granted. You took trust for granted that it was there or that it wasn't as bad. And apparently it's in, it's bad because there's a, a lot of this is coming out. So really excited today to have Dr. Yoram Solomon join us. Right before that, I want to um, put a poll up the other day, Jason, LinkedIn. I know you saw it and you shared it and appreciate it. And it was about what's causing, what's the number one cause of labor shortages in, in the market today? And I won't tell you what the four, it's real quick. There's only four choices because that's what LinkedIn limits you to. But there were four choices. We've got about six or 700 results already. We had 22,000 views. People saw it. It's still sharing, and which is remarkable. So there is the, the website, and especially if you're just listening on a podcast, it's rebrand.ly, R-E-B-R-A-N-D.ly forward slash PLS poll, which is perfect labor storm poll. And uh, real quick, it'll take you a second. There's a great conversation on there. We have uh, quite a few comments. People are sharing their stories, what they thought it should have been or agreeing confirmation. Some experts, some other experts in there. So it's not just me. But really, uh, if you'd go up there and Roxy, if you can show the QR code, if you're watching, you might need to pull. Yep, there you go. You just pull out your phone and and take a quick poll and and enter into the conversation. Appreciate it. It'll go through uh, this weekend. And then next week, we'll talk about some of the results. So back to uh, Jason and it's time. Let's do it. Let's bring on Dr. Yoram Solomon. There he is, all the way from Plano, Texas, this week. <laughs> yes. Hey, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, and welcome. What what a time to have you. Uh, you know, we thought you and I went back and forth the other day, chatted a little bit about, you know, your your interests were innovation or trust. It seems like. Okay, which one do I juggle? But you have an interesting background. How, let's talk real quickly how you got to this place because you've got multiple degrees, multiple careers, and then let's lead into what can what can leaders do? I mean, why is there this break in trust and what can we do to change it? Yes, well, uh, the, the reason I got there, it's, it's kind of a funny story. By the way, I was listening to you from back there in the green room and it goes... You can't handle the truth, and you gotta put yourself into it. But 
You know, I started with innovation, just like you said. I started with innovation. I was trying to help companies innovate, be more innovative. And what I found was that ideas never stuck. And so that was the time I was working on my PhD research. And the topic that I was choosing for that was, why are people so much more creative in startup companies than they are in large mature companies? I started startups, I sold startups, bought startups, but at the time that I was working on the dissertation, I worked for a very large company and I could feel the difference. Well, two years of research, uh, interviews of people and companies in the US, Canada, China, Europe, and Israel, and the answer, I can boil the answer to just two words, innovation culture. So I started working on innovation culture. That was the time I published my seventh book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss which I really do believe in, culture starts with you, not your boss. And uh, I was interviewing a potential client at the time when I started going over those components that make for a culture of innovation. And what I realized, that company had none of the positive components and all of the negative components. And I was curious, trying to understand why, when it finally dawned on me, because after 20 minutes, I realized they lacked trust. They didn't trust each other. Leaders didn't trust their employees, so they didn't give them autonomy. And autonomy is not just do whatever you want. Autonomy is, I'll tell you what has to be done. You decide how you do it. You didn't get any accountability. All you saw from employees was CYA. The most important part was the inability to hold a constructive disagreement. And what I found in one of my own studies was that the ability, the willingness to hold a constructive disagreement, you know, that's not destructive, not emotional, not irrational, and not, on the other hand, not the politically correct one, you know, when you have the the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, just not the meeting during the meeting, ability to hold that constructive disagreement goes 71% up when you have trust. And so that time, That book was the first time that I wrote about trust. Actually, the book was already with the editors. And that's when I wrote a six-page epilogue called Building Trust. So if you ever get the book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss, the only one chapter that would probably have all the typos and all the grammar issues are that chapter because that never went through the editor. (laughs) But that was the first time, that was the first time that I started building my model of what trust is. And trust is not what we think it is. Trust is not what you heard. Trust is not universal. It is not absolute. It is not static. And so I started building my model. And uh, that was the time that I felt that I was kind of in a junction. And I asked 20 of my closest friends and family members, uh, what do you think I should do? Should I stick with innovation or do I turn into trust? because I had enough critical mass of content on trust that that I started developing. And 19 out of 20 said, stick with innovation. So I moved to trust. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't trust them, right? (laughs) It's not that I didn't trust them. One of the things that I learned, everybody with with very good intentions, but, but when you ask for advice, people, especially people close to you, especially people who care about you, would want to pull you more into their comfort zone than push you away from yours. But but you ask a specific question. You asked about leaders, so, so I have to share this with you. I did a survey. My survey had, I think, 363 people. And the question was really, what is the most important quality for you in other people? 
So I asked about your boss, your employees, your peers, a salesperson trying to sell you something, your government representative. I heard, Jason, that you brought up your government representatives and even your spouse. What are What is the most important quality? So I got a lot of qualities, started combining them. And here are the top five. In number five, are you ready for this? We're number ready. five, good looks. <laughs> I know, right? Hey. Fortunately, three out of 363, so 0.83% thought that good looks is the most important quality. But number one, with 61.2% trustworthiness, the most important quality I have in you is your trustworthiness. It's more than the next four combined. But here's an interesting thing. I told you that there are six types of people. Trustworthiness came in number one in only five of the six. Five of the six. I'm not going to make you bet, but the one where trustworthiness was not number one was when I asked leaders about their employees. What is the most important quality for you in your employees? The answer was willingness to work hard. 47.5%. 39% was trustworthiness, second place. But first place was willingness to work hard, which kind of brings up something that Henry Ford once said. Why is it that every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Hire <laughs> up, Jason. This is 2021, and leaders still think this way, and this is what I'm here to change. Absolutely. So, how did we how did we get into this mess? Why, you know, I mentioned earlier, it, it just seems that wow, in 2021, the pandemic hit and took away trust. It just, but I from I mean, you've studied this for so long. It was it just brewing underneath was there's was there this lack of trust and and the pandemic just exposed how fragile it really was what were some of the reasons that it, it's it's just come to to this tipping point well it's a combination of things one of the things that i did and, and this is over the last probably 13 years was i observed eight laws of trust how trust behaves and four of them actually fall under the category of trust is relative. Trust is relative. It is not absolute. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, you know, I have two daughters. My older daughter already graduated from college. My second one is halfway through college. And one day I noticed she was signing up for a class. And in that class, she went to a website called Rate My Professors. Have you heard of that website, Rate My Professors? So this is, you can imagine what it does, Jason. So this is where you go and you see, it's just like reviews. It is reviews anonymous by students who took classes with a specific professor. So she was choosing classes based on that. And, and I thought, man, wait, I'm a professor. I teach at SMU. Do I have a page on Rate My Professor? So we go there and sure enough, I have page in Rate by Professors. And I, I look at it and, you know, the first thing I see is I get a review of five out of five. It says that I'm awesome. Now, you think I'm telling you this to brag? Actually, yeah, that, that was the number one reason. But, <laughs> but number two reason, get ready for some vulnerability. By the way, and vulnerability is a very important ability and willingness to be able to hold the constructive disagreement, the willingness to ask stupid questions and suggest stupid ideas. And it's 240%, 240% higher when you have trust than when you don't. So here's my vulnerability, okay? The second review, 
one out of five. I'm awful. Professor Solomon is arrogant, condescending, uses his own material as class material and so on, but he's a, gr he's a good grader. <laughs> At least there was one good thing. So wh why did I bring this up? Because I don't know who wrote those. They're anonymous. The one thing I can see from those reviews, both reviews were put for the same class at the same semester. These two students sat together in the same classroom. Trust is relative. Each one of them saw me differently. So to your answer, what, what has changed? I will just touch on trust law number eight, which is trust is two-sided. Trust is the product. The trust that I have in you is the product of my trustability, my willingness to trust other people, and your trustworthiness. One of the things that has declined in, in the last quite a few years is our trustability, our willingness to trust. It's not just that you are less trustworthy. It is that I tend to trust people less. And there are many reasons for that. It's the behavior of the government. One of the reasons that this goes back into the trust is relative, our political polarization. We are so polarized. You know, I think one of the best examples, and you're going to see why we lose trust. I mean, especially during the pandemic. What do you do? Do you take the vaccine? Do you not take the vaccine? Which one do you take? Do you take Pfizer, Moderna? Do you take Johnson & Johnson? Should you take a third dose if you could? Should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Well, I wake up one morning, it is 6.55, and I turn on TV. And TV says that the number of COVID cases in Texas has declined 64%. Cool. Five minutes later, it's 7 a.m. This is, um, so I'm watching NBC, and it goes to the Today Show. This is the one that's broadcasted from New York, right? It starts with there is an increasing surge in the number of cases in several countries, especially in the South. For example, Texas, the number of cases went up 81%. <laughs> I didn't touch the remote. I'm still on the same channel. The local affiliate said the number of cases in Texas went down 64%. The, the national program in New York says it went up 81%. Who do you trust? So I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dig deep, deeper into this one. So where do they get their information? Probably the CDC. So I'm going to the CDC's website, and I actually share that in my workshops. By the way, if you're interested in my workshops, just go to my website, yourabsolomon.com. You have to pronounce to spell Solomon correctly, just like it's spelled right here. <laughs> so yourabsolomon.com. And, and in one of my workshops, what I do is I share this chart that I found from the CDC. Here's the thing, you know which one was right? Did we go down 64% or up 81%? Neither. Actually, they both are. At that date, on that day, for the last week, the number of cases went down 64%, went up 81%. But over the last month, they went down 64%. Neither one gave you the full picture. But why? Let's go back to what they said. In Texas, local affiliate, number of cases went down 64%. The governor is going to have a, or, or ban mask mandates. Confirmation. 
In New York, they want to convince you to take the vaccine because the number of cases in Texas went up 81%. Confirmation bias is becoming so pervasive that it is just causing us not to trust other people. So the first thing that declines is actually our trustability, our willingness to trust, not necessarily, not only other people's trustworthiness. So, so the, I mean, there is trust. Well, I, I guess the question is, is there trust on the in- misinformation? So, and again, I know this isn't, I don't want to turn this into political because there's certainly questions about things, but for the vaccines, I mean, the reasons are that I don't want to take the vaccine because there's going to be a chip in my body. I don't want to do that because now they can track me by lasers. So there's, so there's a group that trusts misinformation and, and, and believe that's more valid than scientific evidence. There was a research, a, a research article that came out fairly recently, I think in the last uh, couple of years, that talked about confirmation bias in science, Ira. You're talking about as if one group uh, relies on science and the other absolutely not. Not true. What you have is you have science presented in a way that includes confirmation bias. In that study, they came up, and and that study was not political. In that study, they came up with, I, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but a very large percentage of studies were done on samples that were too small, were never confirmed, When they tried to confirm it on a larger sample, they actually rejected the original premise of the of the original study, which makes you wonder what is true. And by the way, if you don't let them put that chip into you, how will I be able to control you until I have so far? (laughs) It reminds me of two words that my major professor shared with us as we were becoming psychologists in grad school. The first two words that were out of his mouth to the whole class were, what are the two words that are the most important in research? And he said, those two words are, it depends. Yes. (laughs) And all of us were just sitting in the classroom, like that's really profound. Like we came here expecting we're gonna have answers, you know, to everything. And it was just a subtle reminder of, you know, context matters, even within, you know, the realm of research that you have to consider that there's exceptions to rules that there's so many different factors and variables that go into explaining causation or correlation and things like that. And so I think that parlays perfectly into what you're talking about there. You know, that trust, it is something that's fluid and, and sometimes things change where something that might be true for one person may not be true for another, given certain factors or variables that we may not be privy to. Yeah. But, but you know something, I want to take it to the other side as well. I talked about our us losing our trustability, our willingness to trust others. But I think we're starting to play fast and loose with uh, not just with facts, but with other things as well. And, and I'm going to share one of my biggest pet peeves, and that's best-selling. Best, everybody's a best-selling author. By the way, I'm here to say I am not a best-selling author. <laughs> I checked seven different dictionaries and, and encyclopedias to see what, what does best-selling, best-selling author, best-selling book, what does it mean? And what, what do you think? If you're reading, if you're about to, let's say, hire me to do something, and, and let's say that I have used 
my, I describe myself as a best-selling author, which once again, I am not. But let's say that I did. What do you think? You're thinking, oh man, this is, his books sell what? A thousand copies a month, a thousand a day, something like that, right? Here's what you don't think. What you don't think is that what made me, what gave me the, the ability to say that I'm a best-selling author is the fact that I took my book on Kindle, reduced the price from $14.99 to $0.99, cents, which is the minimum you can reduce it to. I got three of my closest friends to buy this book, which, by the way, ahead of time, I categorized in the sex psychology of cats even though it's a business book, because there are not too many books in that subcategory. And because of my three friends who bought this book for 99 cents for seven minutes, my book was listed number one in that category. I took a screenshot of that category. And from that moment on, I'm going to call myself a best-selling author. Is that what you think is a best-selling author? It just blew my dreams. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, when we are doing that, when people are doing that, two things happen. One is I will never, ever trust someone that says he's a best-selling author. By the way, the first thing that I do is I go and verify. I go and I check. How many books do you have? So it's a little harder to check it on me because book number 15 just came out last week. But you go and you find each one of my books. See where they rank. Then find the calculator to see how many of those I sell in a day or in a month to see if I really should be using the phrase best-selling author. So I think we are allowing ourselves to do things like that. And because of that, other people don't trust us, but, but it's really because we are not trustworthy. Jason, I think you had a question. Yeah, one more. Another term that we hear thrown around right now, Yoram, is this term psychological safety. It, it's kind of become the word du jour of 2021 and, came out of a Google study where they found like the top thing in order to have those crucial conversations, healthy conflict, as you were putting it, was establishing psychological safety in organizations. The question for you is, is there a difference between trust and psychological safety? What is that relationship or distinction between those two, or are they the same? You know, it's, it's funny that you brought this up because they're very, very related. Why do you trust? Why do you trust? I mean, you trust, let's say that you didn't trust anyone. You are in a certain situation right now, a certain stage, a certain place. You want to get to a better place, right? But you can't do that by yourself or, or without even pushing yourself beyond what you are currently doing. For that, you must trust. You must trust yourself, maybe. You must trust God. You must trust other people or other things. But when you trust, you are hoping that you're going to get to a better situation. But unfortunately, this also brings risk. And so you feel safety when you trust. You feel above that line, you know, that line that, that correlates between the risk that you're taking and the reward and, and the, the danger that you're exposing yourself to. Because those two, as you know, no, no risk, no reward. So these two are, are linked. If you're above that line, you feel safety. You feel safe. If you're below that line, if there is not enough trust that you have to get you to the reward you want to get, you're below that line and you feel danger. So 
You know, I mentioned that we want to have a constructive disagreement. And constructive disagreements in, in my previous research showed that has a very strong correlation with innovation and productivity. So we want to be able to have this constructive disagreement. In order to do that, three things. I already mentioned the first one, vulnerability. How willing are you to be vulnerable with me? How willing are you? How open are you to say, I was wrong? By the way, there is an advanced version to I was wrong, and that's I was wrong, Jason, and you were right. That's, that's harder than just I was wrong. So there's I'm sorry. There's, there's It was my fault, my mistake. That's on me. People are great in saying the buck stops here, but then uh, somebody else has to pay the price. No, accountability is the buck stops here and I'm going to pay the price. Well, so there's vulnerability, 240% higher when you have trust in your organization. It's your ability to give direct, unfiltered feedback. You know, it's great uh, that, that it's very easy for me to say, Jason, what a great background you have there. Or uh, Ira, what a great show you have. That's easy, giving positive feedback. Negative feedback, and negative feedback is not giving feedback in a negative way, in like I'm going to insult you and attack you. Negative feedback is giving you feedback about something bad that you have done. Your willingness to give that negative feedback, by the way, something that I think about negative feedback, positive feedback makes you feel better. Negative feedback makes you better. So negative feedback, your willingness to give unfiltered negative feedback goes up 106% if you trust the other person, that they're not going to take it personally, become emotional and irrational. Receptivity to feedback, you know, my, my receptivity to your feedback goes up 76% when I trust that you're coming from a place that wants to help me, has my best interest in mind, rather than you're trying to belittle me or, or attack me. So, so back to your psychological safety. Psychological safety will only exist when you have trust. It's not the same things. Psychological safety depends on having trust. If you don't have trust, you don't feel safety. You feel danger. This just ties in so well with what I've been working with, with this adaptability quotient, the AQAI, is there are three components. There was the our abilities. And that's what everybody wants to improve. It's, well, you need more grit. You need more resilience. You need more mental flexibility. You need more mindset. You need to unlearn your bad behaviors. And it's all that burdens all put on the individual. But the environment is so important. And when we talk about the environment in which you adapt or innovate or grow, we're measuring company support. Do you, do you, have, do you feel that, that the company's got your back if you make a mistake? What is that about? It's not about adaptability. It's about trust. Do I trust that if I make a mistake, if I try something new, if I say something, if I point out a mistake, that am I going to have a job? So it looks at company support, team support, emotional health. Emotional health, Jason, is psychological safety. That's what it talks about is do I feel safe to be able to fail? Can, can I fall down and not worry that everybody's going to walk over me or attack me? And, and then there, it was about job stress and work environment, but it's incredible. I mean, the tie-in with this, that the focus is, oh, in order to become more innovative, in order to grow, we need to become more adaptable. In order to become adaptable, let's teach all these people all these other skills, but it's about the culture. I mean, if you don't create that environment that there's a sense of trust, you can't give feedback, you can't make a mistake, everybody covers it's CYA, 
And no wonder you can't innovate and grow. <laughs> you, you know what? It, it's funny that you bring those components because I'm, I'm going to share something with you, but that's, that's in secret. That's just the three of us because nobody else is listening right now. There are six components. That's the model that I started back in the book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss, in 2017. Same six components I started with, I, I still am using today. And they're in two groups. One group, and that's, that's the group you touched on, that's the who you are. The who you are that makes you trustworthy or untrustworthy. The other three, comp three components are not who you are, it's what you do during an interaction. Because during an interaction, you can accelerate growth, accelerate decline, or just have growth or decline. But the who you are, to me, is made of three parts. One is your competence. You know, are you competent? And by the way, trust law number two, trust is contextual. Competent in what? I mean, if I need you to fly this plane, just yesterday uh, I met with a uh, new client and uh, it's, it's an aviation company, I'll leave it at that. And we talked about trust and, and I asked them, do you trust me to fly one of your jets? And they look at me and they're like, no, we, we don't know anything about you. At some point, I said, you know, at the end of the workshop, I'm going to leave you with four statements. One, V1. Two, rotate. Three, positive rate of climb. Four, gear up. As soon as I said these four, which, by the way, come from a, check, a checklist for every jet, they go, okay, so he knows what he's talking about. My level of competence just went up. So competence in the context of what I need to trust you with. When I served in the 35th Airborne, I needed to trust people with what they do. You know, when we enter a room that I'm going to go to the right and they're going to go to the left. And by the way, the reason is because I'm left-handed and I would carry the rifle slightly to my left. That's why I go to the right. They had to trust with what I do behind the rifle. They don't need to trust me in flying a plane, but they needed to trust me behind the rifle. So competence. The second one I already mentioned, because it's relative, trust is relative, it is the personality compatibility. And that name has changed for me over the years. It started with shared values, but it's more than shared values. It's how our personalities are compatible. They don't have to be the same, but they have to be compatible. There are certain things that are on the absolute side of things, like telling the truth or lying. And Ira, back to you. You can't handle the truth. So <laughs> not telling the truth, telling lies intentionally and knowingly, Nobody's going to trust you, but now you're going down to things where, where they're just different. It's not bad or good. It's, it's just different. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> Could you tell? I'm an extrovert. And there are introverts and extroverts and introverts don't get well, get well together. There are people who like to take risks. I like to take risks. People who don't like to take risks don't get along with me very well. I think that they're just holding back and they think that I'm reckless. So that's the second part, personality compatibility. But the third one you touched on, Ira, is the situation. This is a situational one. So are we on the same side? Are we on the same side of things? Do we share the same vision? Do we share the same mission in a company? But we can share something else, oddly enough. We can share the same enemy, and it will increase the trust between us. Right. Uh, can you think of an enemy that we have right now? It's this little bacteria, not bacteria, it's a virus, right. the coronavirus, COVID-19. That's a common enemy. And that actually 
is probably the one element during this pandemic that increased trust rather than reduced because we were on the same side. There are two days in history that the level of trust was the highest ever here in the US. It was December 8, 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor, and it was 9-12, 2001, the day after 9-11. The level of trust was amazing because there was an enemy and it was on the other side while you and I were on that same side. Pretty amazing. Connections, my, my brain's exploding and, and, and drawing all these things that, that I've heard. And it was like, oh, the issue, we're focused on the wrong issue. We're trying to fix the problem or find the solution. And, and the challenge is we need to work on trust. I mean, we, can, yes. we can create the environment, we can, we can reskill, upskill, give all these people all these abilities. But ultimately, the measure isn't like what I'm talking about. Like we're measuring AQ, adaptability quotient. We shouldn't, the ultimate goal of adaptability quotient should be the measurement should be trust. If everyone trusts one another, it'll work out. Yeah. If we, you know, go ahead. It's funny. By the way, the reason your, your head is, is exploding is because I still have the laser on you. So hang on. Okay. Better now. The laser is off. And so the chip is not being sensed. It must have been but, the uh, vaccine I got. <laughs> so the, when I decided that I'm going to be working on trust and then spend essentially the rest of my life researching and, and teaching trust was when I realized that Starting with innovation, trying to help organizations with innovation is like building a building starting with the second floor. You don't start with the second floor. The first floor, I already got to the first floor, which is innovation culture. But then I realized that you don't even start with the first floor. You start by pouring the foundation and the foundation is trust. And it's just like when you go to the doctor, the first thing that they do is they give you a remedy, but they give you a remedy for what? They give you a remedy for the symptom, not the disease. You need to, and again, I'm not here pushing for vaccinations or not. I am vaccinated, but it is, we need to work on improving your immune system rather than fixing the symptoms. Hmm. And, and again, I'm using this as an analogy. You need to be working on what are the reasons we don't have trust rather than trying to give you another way to innovate, come up with new ideas to be more productive. How about if we fix this, the, the reason, and the reason is lack of trust. And Yoram, you mentioned remedies there. Are there some remedies for our listeners today? Are there some basic things that are kind of universal that regardless of whatever the context, the size, the, the vertical, the industry that they're in, are there some core building blocks of that foundation, the remedies that they can start taking today to start building trust with people in their organization? So, so it's funny that you ask that because we really didn't talk about that uh, before. When I do my workshops, I'm sorry, I'm going to plug this here. When I do my workshops, typically I start with explaining the eight laws of trust, the six components of trustworthiness, and then I give a seven-step process to help every person become more trusted. But there is one more session that I do, which I call 10 Habits of Trusted People. Because over the years, I did identify 10 of those, 10 habits, that people who are more trusted than others do use. I'm gonna give you one example. Just start with, you know, it's kind of funny. Trust is reciprocal. That's one of the laws. Uh, it's 
trust law number six, and, and it's reciprocal, not, not necessarily own. I mean, the way we typically think of it as reciprocal is if I am trustworthy, then you will trust me. If I earn your trust, then you will trust me. It actually works the other way around, too. I use my daughter as an example, Maya. When, when Maya was about a year old, she lifted herself from the ground, from the floor, and she realized that she can stand. Well, once she realized she could stand, she thought, oh, you know what? Maybe I can walk. And she realized that she can walk. Well, after she learned that she can walk, what do you think was the next time she tried? Run. Run. Running. That's right. She started running. And the first time she tried running, what do you think happened? She fell. fell. She fell. Exactly. And what do you think she did when she fell? Cried. No, she didn't. She got up. I knew you were going to say that. No, she didn't. She didn't cry. She looked back at me to see what my reaction would be. And if my reaction would have been, <gasps> she would have started crying because obviously something terrible has happened. But if she would see that my reaction is, get up, keep going, she would get up and keep going because apparently that was not terrible. Trust and trustworthiness work the same way. If I trust you and I show you that I trust you, you will behave in a trustworthy way because otherwise, Jason, especially for you, you're going to suffer from cognitive dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. So to avoid cognitive dissonance, if I feel that somebody trusts me, I behave in a trustworthy way. So one of those 10 components of what makes a trusted person in general is you start with trust. You trust other people a little more then you feel comfortable trusting them because then you force them to go up to that level of trust. Now, unfortunately, their trustworthiness might be higher than that and you're actually pulling them down because they go, well, he doesn't trust us enough. But that's one of those elements, trust them. I'll give you another one and, and see if you want any others. But this is empathy. And empathy is not pity. It is not compassion. Empathy is your ability and willingness to see things from the other person's perspective as if you were them. Not put yourself in their shoes because you're not them. Your ability and willingness to see things from their perspective as if you were them. And that's critical. And, you know, one, one of the exercises I do is I put the number six lying down and I ask people, what number do you see here? And half the people see six half the people see nine. And really what you, the answer should be, Jason, it depends. My head of research, the head of research in my university used the same thing. It depends. These people see that differently and you have to accept the fact that there are two sides to every story. So there, I gave you two. Excellent. And Yoram, we literally blew through the break. I just, just enjoyed this conversation so much and uh, we could continue it forever. Not forever, but at least indefinitely. Wait one second. Let me clear the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you already cleared it with your family for three hours, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, they don't know. So at least we got another two hours to go. Now, we are we are going to be kicked off the air. We, we're going to come up to the end. Uh, you've mentioned a couple times you've had workshops. Where can people get the other eight tips to uh, improve, you know, to grow their trust and to trust other people? You have eight laws. Where can people get the hold of that information? The best is my website that you had uh, below, uh, yoramsolomon.com. It's organized, I think, pretty fairly easily. So you can find my workshops if you click on, well, workshops. 
or bring me as a keynote speaker, or I have online courses, by the way, trusted at work, where you don't even need me, just, just go there and get, there's three and a half hours, I believe, of videos, short videos with exercises and everything. And it's, it's all there. It's all at yourmsalman.com. And, and, and there's quite a few additional interviews that you've had. You know, obviously, oh, yes. this, this will be at the top and, and your best one yet. But you have other really, really good interviews. And again, oh. it's been totally enjoyable. Go ahead. And one more thing. Go to the Trust Show. This is my own podcast. Unfortunately, nobody wants to interview with me. So uh, I have to speak myself for feel 30 minutes. But it does. Uh, it has an episode every Sunday at noon. Somebody said that in the first season, we're about to start the third season, start recording the third season. Somebody said that, are you holding back any information? This and the Book of Trust, between the, the Trust Show and the Book of Trust, this I consider this to be my legacy. I put everything there. There's nothing that I hold back. Excellent. Well, if you're ever looking for guests, and I'll speak for Jason, I'm sure, but either one of us would trust you to be your guest. <laughs> so. Thank you. Very good. Uh, stay safe. I really appreciate it. Definitely would love to have you back. This is going to be an ongoing story. And uh, your research is phenomenal. And you're just a great guest. So appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, Roxy, in the back. So, thank thanks. you, Orm. Okay. I just We just let him run. So it was uh, entertaining. The connections with everything that we talked about. We're, we're so good, especially being uh, so deep into adaptability, AQ. But just on the day, just trying to make sense of where where did this divide, where did this polarization come, whether it's politics or the vaccine or trust or education or masks or, you know, what, what's almost every topic today. Absolutely. And what's great about it, too, is, yeah, a lot of it's centered on those things. But just like with adaptability, Trust is something that is an essential skill in your life in every sphere of it. You need trust with your spouse. You need trust with your kids, your friends. It's just a core human element of what we need to be successful and to feel good about our lives and to be happy and to make progress together. So what a phenomenal episode. And he just was a wealth of knowledge. My brain's on fire too, Ira. So good. It's it's just not my age, right? <laughs> so, we appreciate it. And we appreciate everybody who is listening. And thank you so much. And hopefully you really enjoyed this and, and you'll share this. Please, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like it, put some comments out there. If you're listening to this on one of the podcasts, hopefully that you'll subscribe and get our do this weekly. And we have great guests, just like Yoram Solomon. Uh, he mentioned cognitive dissonance. And just a few weeks ago, we talked with uh, David Hull about cognitive dissonance. Excellent show. He just wrote his book about that. You know, we talk about cognitive dissonance and, and the skill of mental flexibility all the time of how to be able to manage that. So there's, there's a lot of crossovers here. And again, my head is just swimming with ideas that I didn't necessarily associate trust with. We knew it. We took it for granted. But really powerful. And then how do you, how do you build that? How do you improve that? And I uh, loved your question about psychological safety too. It was, it was, it was a great tie-in and, and it, it brought things together. For those who are not members of our community, Googleization Nation, hopefully you go up to googleizationnation.com. It's free. We just need a name and an email address so we can reach out to you. We'll send updates about this and, and some webinars. Please take the poll that we're now doing. 
on the number one cause of labor shortages. There's the QR code. If you're watching, you can pull that out through the weekend. If you're listening, or if you'd rather just type it in, you can go to rebrand.ly. That's R-E-B-R-A-N-D dot L-Y forward slash P-L-S poll, P-O-L-L, P-L-S poll. P-L-S is Perfect Labor Storm. You can go up, just type that in and learn about the Perfect Labor Storm. Why do we have these labor shortages? No big surprise. We're talking about it 22 years, even trademark Perfect Labor Storm 17 years ago, 18, 17 wow. or 18 years ago, saying this is this was going to be the future, and uh, unfortunately it is. We want to, again, thank everybody. We've got uh, some more great guests. We got a huge lineup coming up, and we got one more week in September, but in October, we got Jason, Jacob Mark Morgan at the end of the month and uh, some other names that we'll be sharing shortly. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>